0: Welcome to the Grace Churches podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now for our message. We are going to be looking at Barnabas again this morning, continuing this series of messages. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, Acts 11, or you can go there on your device. Or you can look on the screen because it'll be there. Barnabas is our, um, is our role model. He is a powerful man because he is helpful. He just has this ability to whether he's being generous or he's being an encourager or he's advocating like we, like we mentioned last week. He is a person that is moving things forward in the kingdom in a subtle kind of behind the scenes type of way. His attitude and his posture, I believe, says this. Barnabas is that guy that just says, how can I help? And the more that I study him, the more that I think about him, the more that I, I, I share about him with others, I just I want Grace Church to be a Barnabas Church, where our whole like, collective attitude is just, how can we help? What can we do to support? What can we do to advocate? How can we, how can we encourage? How can we be generous? Just always looking for ways to do all of those things. Before we go to the word, let's pray. Father, thank you for being our healer, but also thank you by your spirit, you're our teacher. We pray that you would teach us the word this morning as we go uh, into the book of Acts. Thank you for this wonderful record of the early church, Lord. Help us to see your work through Barnabas and to imitate it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Leading up to Acts chapter 11 uh, in chapter 10 and the first part of chapter 11 itself is the story of Peter and his ministry in the house of Cornelius. If you know the story in Acts chapter 10, Peter is in a place called Joppa that's by the sea, by the Mediterranean. And he's there and he's he's um, do, doing ministry and he gets hungry. And so he goes up on the roof while they're making his lunch and he has this incredible vision. And if you read the entirety of chapter 10, what ends up the, the upshot of the vision is, is that he is invited to go into the house in a different town, into the house of a man named Cornelius. Cornelius lives in a place called Caesarea, and Peter is obedient because he's had this vision. He goes and he enters into these non-Jewish people's house, which we don't think much of, but in this time, it's a significant issue. He goes and he is a part of a, basically a church meeting that is with non-Jews. And the distinction between Jews and non-Jews is incredible at this time. In other words, Jewish people don't do that. They don't hang out with non-Jewish people. We don't think much of it. They thought everything of it. But because of the vision that Peter gets in chapter 10, he's confident. He goes, and while he's there speaking, sharing the good news, sharing the gospel there is such a receptivity to what Peter is saying, that the Holy Spirit falls. People are accepting Christ. They're, They're being saved, but they're also being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. All of this stuff is happening right in front of Peter. And in a way, this was a really significant moment in the life of the church because basically Peter, as one of the leaders of the church, could look and say, I guess this isn't just for us. He actually goes to Jerusalem in chapter 11 and says, you know, we thought this this Christianity thing was just for Jews. It's for everybody. It includes everyone, which is a a significant turning point in the the thinking of the church. So in the back half of chapter 11, we see the expansion of the church move out another ring, and that's what I want us to look at this morning. So we're going to start in verse 19. Chapter 11, Book of Acts, and I'm going to read this morning out of the ESV, English Standard Version. Here we go. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus in Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 23. When he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Spirit and of faith, and a great number of people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Again, after the, the persecution that takes place in chapter 7 of the, book of, of the book of Acts, where you have Stephen being martyred, people leave Jerusalem the deacons, elders, disciples, just they're out. They're going all over the world at, because of this negative thing that's taken place. Now they're, they're taking the gospel everywhere. But as it says in verse 19, mostly they're talking to Jews. They're thinking this is a Jewish only, you know, sect is what they thought it was, like a, a part of Judaism, not realizing that God was doing something so much bigger. That was happening generally, but when there were some people from Cyrene, which is in northern Africa, and in Cyprus, which is that, that island where Barnabas is actually from, they come to Antioch, they begin to just preach to anybody. It says they're talking to Hellenists, who in this context, in this particular place, is just Greeks who are non-Jewish. They begin witnessing and they begin sharing the good news of Jesus. And there's an outpouring of the spirit. There's, a, there's a, like a, a, a new thing that God does in Antioch. It's an extremely fruitful place of ministry. And a great number of people believe and turn to the Lord. And the news of this thing that's happening in Antioch gets all the way to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they send Barnabas to kind of check it out. Now this, again, shows us what the leaders of the church of Jerusalem thought about Barnabas. He was willing to listen to them in Acts chapter 9 when he came up and said, no, no, Saul's legit. He's totally following the Lord now. He's been transformed. He had a mighty ministry in Damascus. Remember, Barnabas was able to vouch for Saul. In this case, they're saying, you know what, Barnabas, we're hearing about this thing that God's doing. We think down in Antioch, would you go there and then report back to us? Let us know if this is legitimate or not. So in verse 23, he goes there and and Barnabas looks and sees what God is doing in Antioch. Three things it says. It says he saw the grace of God. Saw that this was a, a legitimate thing that God was doing. It says that he was glad. And then it says he exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord. He basically encourages them because he's the son of encouragement. He encourages them and comforts them and says, keep going. You're doing great. We're really proud of you. In verse 24, Luke, the author of Acts, says three more things about, about Barnabas, kind of as a little commentary. He says he was a good man, said he was full of the Holy Spirit, and that he is full of faith. And a great number of people were added to the Lord. Antioch becomes another place where the Spirit of God is being poured out, just like in Caesarea, just like in Damascus, just like in Jerusalem. Now, last week when we were looking at chapter 9, there was that pivot point, that space between verses 26 and 27. Verse 26, Saul can't get in with the leaders because they're all suspicious of him for good reason since he's a murderer. And then in verse 27, you have Barnabas coming up and vouching for for Saul, and it changes the course of Saul's ministry, changes the course of the church's life. We have another one of those moments in verse 25 here. This is the pivot. Barnabas shows up in Antioch, sees what God is doing, is excited about what God is doing, is encouraging the leaders of the church and everybody there saying, you're doing great, keep going. But then he steps back a little bit and decides that they're missing something and so he goes to Tarsus to bring Saul back because he recognizes that that this church that is just developing just emerging needs this guy Saul and all of his gifts and talents and spiritual abilities. The trip was about 150 miles one way. Would not have been an easy trip for Barnabas to take, but I I guess in the Lord he knew that this needed to take place and so he did. He didn't know where Saul was, it says in the text, so he had to find him once he finally got to Saul's hometown, Tarsus, and then he brings them back, and then they kind of have like a a ministry residency for a year. Would have that been cool or what? They just start this new church in Antioch, and you have Saul and Barnabas for a whole year doing all the teaching. Text says they, they taught a great many people, and that's the place where people who are following Jesus are first called Christians. This text is super rich. I love what God does in and through Barnabas. First of all, he's a man of great stature. He's trusted. I love that about him. The church sends him to go down, and he is able to confirm that this is legitimate, this is an authentic move of God in Antioch. The second thing that happens with Barnabas is that once he's on the ground, he gets involved. He sees what's happening. He sees that it's good. He discerns in the spirit that this is, this is again legitimate, and he's glad about it. There's no pettiness, there's no jealousy, there's no no smallness of mind when it comes to Barnabas and he sees what God is doing. He's a leader from Jerusalem. That's like the big deal. That's like the major leagues. And he's being sent down to the minor leagues to check things out. And instead of saying, oh, they're not doing it right, because let's be honest, a bunch of non-Jews do not know how to do church right. They totally do not get how to do church. They're not... They're not schooled in the Old Testament. Barnabas could have rolled into town and been like, all right, wait a second. Here's the way it works. First of all, we're gonna have four songs. That's the first thing we're gonna do. <laughs> he could have set up the entire service. He could have been the main speaker. He could have been the guy at the center because he was a big deal from Jerusalem. They're just a bunch of people that, that came to Christ that don't have much of an understanding yet. But he doesn't do that. He's not small-like. He genuinely comes in and celebrates what God is doing. He's gracious. He's supportive. He encourages them to keep walking in the faith. Write this down if you're taking the notes this morning. Barnabas confirms the move of God in Antioch and then he affirms the people in their new church. He's there. He's there to support. He's there to to be with them. He's not there to criticize. He's not there to to critique. He just comes alongside as an encourager would do. But here's the big deal with Barnabas. Somewhere in the middle of this confirming and affirming that he's doing, he sees that the situation needs more. As great as everything is in Antioch, Barnabas comes in and says, this is fantastic. But you know what? I think there's something else that needs to take place. And he, he kind of backs up half of a step and recognizes that what this group of people need in Antioch is the gifts and the talents and the spiritual blessings that Saul could bring. And so he is willing to trek 150 miles one way. And this isn't like hopping in the car and being there in a day. He's either either riding on a donkey, riding on a horse. He's walking. I guess he could have taken a boat and gone across part of the Mediterranean to get over there. But if he did it by land, it was 150 miles. This would have taken weeks, if not months. Because once he gets to Tarsus, the text says he doesn't know where Saul is. He has to walk around. He's seen Saul. He's seen Saul. He has to track him down. And then he has to convince him that we need you to come back to Antioch so that you can minister. He basically takes a chunk of time out of his life because he recognizes that what Saul has is exactly what Antioch needs. Super inconvenient. By the way, generally speaking, serving the Lord is super inconvenient. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, it's super inconvenient. Oh, and the other thing is, the other thing is this. When you go with the inconvenience, good stuff always happens. If I try to fit all the ministry into what's convenient, not the, the good stuff doesn't happen. If it's like I'm willing to go the extra or be around or sacrifice, oh, all of a sudden great things happen. And the great things happen in this case as well. They come back, they hang out for an entire year teaching this baby church how to follow Jesus. And Antioch, through that process, is transformed. transformed. Instead of being kind of a backwater new place where the church is just starting to grow up, it becomes the missionary sending center of the new church. Not Jerusalem, it becomes Antioch. All of Saul's missionary journeys are started out of Antioch. They always leave from there because they become the base. Write this down, if you would. Barnabas' ministry of confirming and affirming was followed by advancing the work by bringing in Saul. He looks at the situation and goes, I know what we need, I know the sky. I heard this guy in, in Damascus. I saw him in Jerusalem. We got to get this guy here. He saw it was an opportunity to do something more, and he did what needed to be done so that Antioch would be more fruitful and that the reach of that church would grow over time. Now, Barnabas is a visionary leader. Say those two words with me visionary leader. He's got enough vision of what's happening overall to recognize that he doesn't have all the answers within himself. He has a kingdom mindset. See, the kingdom of God is always about what the Lord wants to do, not what we want to do. And Barnabas could have, like I said earlier, he could have rolled in and been like, yeah, I'm from Jerusalem, I'm going to be the teacher here. And it would have been fine. I'm not suggesting that would even necessarily have been a wrong thing. But he was able to come in and be a part and affirm what was going on and begin to minister and then recognize it's not enough. He had a vision for something bigger. He had a kingdom mindset. He was able to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, go get Saul. Jot this down if you would. Barnabas is both spiritually mature, which we know. But here's the thing. This is key with him. He is personally unselfish. Instead of allowing the Antioch ministry to just be a solo calling for him, instead it becomes a ministry partnership where he works alongside of Saul. And I don't know if if Barnabas struggled with pride. Most people struggle with pride. I don't know if he did or not, but if he did, he laid it down. Instead of saying, I've got everything that this church needs, he recognized he didn't. He went and found someone to help him. Eventually, and we're going to see this next week, eventually Barnabas is surpassed. By Saul, both in prominence and importance and in influence. Barnabas would eventually even stop working with Saul. When the time comes in the future, there will be a time where they will fight and will part ways. And, and the, the, the record of Acts will just keep telling about all the great things that Paul, who will become, I'm sorry, Saul who will become Paul will do. And Barnabas kind of gets consigned to a scriptural anonymity. Nobody's ever heard of him again after he has this, this falling out. But here's the deal. In the moment, none of that mattered. All that mattered in the moment was what the kingdom needed. All that mattered in the moment was what he could see needed to take place. And so he went with it. everything that he had, he went with it. Here it is. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. The expansion of God's kingdom is more important than the preservation of position. The expansion, the advancement, the moving forward of the kingdom of God, the reaching of new people, the reaching of new towns, the, the de- declaration of the good news to people that have not heard is more important than somebody's position. The Kingdom always moves forward through humble and selfless leaders. Let me, let me just make this super clear. It does not matter what the ministry looks like on the surface. You can pay for something to look right. I mean, look at me. No. <laughs> You can pay for something to just, man, this, this, them, God must be moving there. And maybe he is. But I will say this. If there is an, there is an element of pride that is working underneath, it will never ultimately be everything that it could have been in terms of fruitfulness. Because God moves where there is humility. God moves where there is selflessness. God moves where people are willing to say, hey, it doesn't have to be about me. It can be about this other person. That's what matters most within the kingdom. The kingdom moves forward through selfless, humble leaders, but it's stalled, always stalled by pride. Why is this, um, this particular Barnabas story so important? I want to give you two reasons, and then we'll be finished this morning. This is such an important story for two reasons. Number one, for Grace Church. It's important for us because what Barnabas does captures our heart as a congregation. Think about what he does. He goes there, there's some good things happening. Hey, there's some good things happening at Grace right now. And we could be like, yeah, it's going good. Let's not change anything. And that's not what Barnabas did. He went, yeah, this is really good. We still need to change something. And so he was willing to be inconvenienced to 150 miles each way to go find this other person to be able to move the ministry forward. That is the heart of the leadership of this particular church. It's my heart. Now you may be thinking, is he gonna try to weave in this mosaic thing and you would be right. That is exactly, <laughs> it's exactly what I'm gonna do. Here's the thing. See, it's not just about the leaders and the people that you see doing stuff. Our heart as a church is to go 150 miles to Tarsus to bring back others that will have a, a hand in the ministry and will advance the kingdom faster. That's why we're bugging you about this. Would you please? Please. <laughs> take a moment. Thank you. Take a moment. Fill out that card so that we can have a conversation because we want you to be a part of what we're doing. We do not want to build a church with a few bright lights. We want to build a church with hundreds of little pieces of glass that Jesus shines through and it's beautiful to the world. But you have to come on board and help, okay? So let's not be doing this in September, right? Let's knock this out, you know? Give us that feedback. We would love to talk with you and help you find your place. That's, that's one reason this is such an important Barnabas story. But there's a second reason, and that's this for us personally, individually. Barnabas is an example of how to live for something more grand and more important than ourselves. It's not about me and it's not about you. And I don't want to be uh, critical or unkind. I, I don't mean this as a slight, but let me be completely blunt with you about myself and about most of you. Most people I know are selfish We don't think of ourselves that way. We don't like to, we would never describe ourselves that way. But most of the time, even Christ followers think of themselves first and they think of of themselves most. That's most of us, not everyone. But there is a minority within the church of Jesus Christ that have the ability to step back from the moment and say, what's the bigger thing that God is doing here? And inside of that minority, there's an even smaller minority that are willing to sacrifice themselves, their time, their money, their position, their opportunities to bring other people along. And that's what we want to be. Individually, whether you're a part of Grace Church, you're part of some other church that doesn't make any difference, the goal of our lives ought to be to find ways to promote others and to step back. No matter what that costs us, Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. We want to live our lives, not just in regard to salvation that way, but in regard to everything, looking for a way to advance someone else. Not just open a door, but literally sacrifice our time, our money, our position to lift someone else up while we take a subservient role. Because that's what our master did. So I want you to just take a moment with me before we close and think for a second What is God up to at grace? Who who needs to be sought out and brought in? Where can we think strategically instead of just selfishly? See, even when we're thinking strategically sometimes, it's really just a veil for thinking about self. Where can we think really strategically kingdom-wise and not just about what I want to have happen? Where can we sacrifice so that the kingdom of God can move forward? And let me be personally very vulnerable for a moment this whole idea of a month of mission in august there's a part of me that's like yes absolutely what a barnabas thing to do and there's a part of me that's like yeah but they need to hear me But you know what you don't need to hear me what you need what we all need are opportunities where we can intentionally get out of the way and let someone else be seen let someone else's voice be heard It's super important for us to do that. It's super important for me to do that. Can I give you one more good example? Actually, a better example. For the first two and a half, two and three quarter years that Susan and I were here, you know what my favorite part of every Sunday was? You all tell me how great my message was. No, that wasn't it. Standing out there in that hallway and shaking your hands when you leave. I love that. And I would do it every single week. Because it's my point of connection with all of you. Do you realize that I haven't done that in like six months? And do you know why? Because I'm mad at all of you. I don't want anything to do with... (laughs) No. Because it's not about me. And I need to be doing things in the spotlight less and doing more things behind the scenes because Barnabas is my heart. The world does not need more people wanting to be Peter or Paul. The world needs more people willing to step back and say, hey, there's someone else. And that's a really small sacrifice. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not holding myself up to, you know, I'm not making a huge sacrifice. But it was important for me to make that little bit of a shift because it needs to not be about me, which is why this platform for the month, month of August will have all kinds of other people sharing with you and not just the folks that are here at Grace Church. How can we think strategically? How can we think sacrificially and not just selfishly? There's momentum here, friends. But we don't want to absorb it. We want to roll with it. We want to move forward with what God is doing. So, would you stand with me? And just take a moment before we pray. But who do you know that can... Who do you know that, that needs to be sought out like Saul and brought to Antioch? somebody you work with, somebody at church here maybe that's just on the edges, but they need to be pulled into the center. It's what we are here to do, friends. We wanna be a Barnabas for those folks. I want us to pray that we'll have an opportunity not only to be encouragers and be generous, to show generosity, not only to advocate, but be willing to actually physically sacrifice something in our own lives to help someone else be promoted. I want us to pray that way this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, help us, help us, Lord, to do the inconvenient thing, the sacrificial thing, so that someone who has got gifts and talents and abilities that's on the outside can be pulled towards the inside and that the kingdom would move forward because of that, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would give us the kind of vision that Barnabas had that wasn't self-focused, it was was forward-focused for what you were doing. Lord, help us. Help us to do that. Help us to have that that heart that says, I'm just here to serve up front or in the back with the children and grace kids or or standing on the platform, making coffee or, or serving in our community. Whatever it takes, Lord, may we have a heart that says, I am here to serve just like Barnabas. And Father, one final thing, I pray that you would bless us and that you would keep us from falling into a place of thinking more of ourselves than we ought, but rather with sober judgment, with humbleness, with a humility covering our minds and hearts, would we serve one another and seek to do what you call us to do to reach more people for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen, amen. For I bless you, in just a moment let you go. I wanna say if you are someone that does not have a relationship with Christ, you're not walking with him, we would love to talk with you. We won't embarrass you in any way, but we want to invite you to walk on the same journey that we're on. We're all, if you think of it this way, we're all on a path going through the woods together. And some of us are a little further up and others of us are a little further back. And what we're inviting you into is to say yes to Christ and to walk after him as we are. There's lots of room on that path for you. So if you're interested in inviting Christ into your life, we would love to pray with you. Elders and other prayer team members will be up here at the end. So would you extend your hands before you? Let me bless you in the name of the Lord. Grace Church family and friends and visitors, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, be sure to connect with us by visiting grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.